Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Smoke Signals. We're ready to get the season started and to help us get the season rolling is our newest member of Indians Baseball Insider, John Fanta. John, hello. Thanks for, first of all, joining the site. It's been a good first uh, week and uh, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Justin, it's exciting to join you guys. Uh, have have read your work, uh, have seen the work on Indians Baseball Insider and it's a great team of people and I'm really excited to join this team of people and to everybody that follows the site hi guys you can feel free to reach out to me anytime i'm at john underscore fanta and really i want to be the eyes and the ears for indians baseball insider of this cleveland indian season and in this first week of summer camp there's been a lot to take away uh, but i encourage any followers anybody that follows the site if you've got a question or if you've got a comment or a thought on this team or a story angle to explore I will definitely aim to explore it. So really exciting to cover the tribe here. Really my first time doing baseball daily and looking forward to this in, in these unprecedented times, an unprecedented season. And I'm really curious to see where the Indians pan out here, Justin, because they are one of the more intriguing teams right now in the sport with all the storylines that surround them. They really are. I mean, the Francisco Lindor thing is a big topic on its own, obviously, but you know, they're still a talented roster and they still play in a very mediocre division. Um, they And they have plenty of pitching depth, which they're going to rely on heavily early in the year. And obviously they're trying to break a, a World Series drought and winning a World Series in a 60-game season is going to be different for a lot of people. But I'm pretty sure if they're holding the trophy above their heads at the end of the year, nobody's really going to care, even if there is an asterisk or, you know, it's going to be denoted. But um if you just want to tell some of the listeners maybe a little about yourself and your background and what they can expect from you, I know you've already produced a ton of videos. If you haven't noticed, check out, you know, our Twitter and John's Twitter because we're getting daily video updates from the team and you've been putting a lot of that stuff out. Yeah. So for me, I I am a native uh, of Westlake, Ohio. That's where I grew up. Went to St. Bernadette uh, for elementary school, went to St. Ignatius for high school and they have a wonderful broadcasting network program there and i have san ignatius high school to thank for helping me get where i am today so i I went to seton hall university for my undergrad in new jersey and then ended up getting a job with the big east uh, on their digital network doing a weekly men's basketball show covering a lot of college basketball i'm a host i'm a reporter i do play-by-play for them and then i also do college basketball play-by-play for fox sports So I interned for Fox back when I was going to be a senior. Um, So back in 2016, and I had the unique chance to be on set with guys uh, for MLB Whip Around and Fox's baseball studio programming, which if you know anything about that, it's Kevin Burkhardt, it's Frank Thomas, it's Alex Rodriguez. At the time, it was Pete Rose. Dontrell Willis as well, Eric Karos, and a number of other guys that really made it a treat to, to work with them. And I've always loved baseball. That only made me love it more. Uh, but I've, I've predominantly covered college sports here over the last couple of years, have enjoyed it, have absolutely loved it, but wanted to charter into some fresh waters. And like we talked about, we, we talked a little bit, and I'm really excited for this next chapter. I, I already 
Justin, you and I have interacted on Twitter throughout the recent years on the Indians as is. So now I'm excited to take that and take that into some columns and some features and obviously some more multimedia stuff, which I think now more than ever, people are are looking for that type of stuff. And we've certainly had a couple of days of, of interesting video content because it's really been the first time that many of the Indians have come out and spoken with the press since the coronavirus shutdown. So uh, there's been so many storylines. I'm excited to tell them, but that's a, a little bit about me. I'm a Cleveland sports lifer, but I, I do now call New York and New Jersey home. <laughs> but with these <laughs> unprecedented circumstances, I'm in Cleveland right now. So making the most of my time in the land. Yeah. For anybody listening, as I, I told this to you already, you are qualified and experienced to do just about anything you want to do. So we are certainly lucky to have you, and I and I hope our fans and our readers uh, and subscribers feel the same way. So just the first couple of days, we know that Delano DeShields is the only Cleveland Indian so far to test positive for the coronavirus. He's in Arizona. He needs a negative test to travel and another one to rejoin the team. Uh, Brad, Brad Mills has opted out of the season, not for coronavirus reasons, but because he is continuing to be with his family um, to support each other. Um, Brad's son, Bo, who is a former Indians draft pick, um, his son, 18-month-old son, died just before spring training. Um, and then, you know, the family is still continuing to uh, mourn that loss together. And so Bo is going, or Brad, rather, is going home to be with his son um, and his family after that. So that's just kind of the main news, except for, I guess, what, Clevenger, Carrasco, and Naquin, all guys that were hurt at the beginning of the spring training. Um, Carrasco and Clevenger, obviously, spring training injuries, but Naquin with the ACL uh, last season, um, they're all ready to go. So what, what's kind of been the vibe? What, what, what are your takeaways in the first couple of days, talking to a couple of players and talking to uh, Terry Francona and Chris Antonetti early on? Well, my biggest takeaway is Shane Bieber. And he's starting right where he left off. And this is a guy that Terry Francona uh, on Monday, so as we record this today, he compared to Corey Kluber. And he even ended the comparison with, and that's a pretty high compliment coming from me. And what Mm -hmm. Tito said is, I find myself saying a lot of the things about Shane that I was saying about Corey about seven years ago. So, the takeaway is this Shane Bieber is going to be this team's opening day starter. And the, the staff believes that he is the type of guy that can be an ace for the future. I mean, that, that is what we are gathering right now. He threw on Saturday, Carl Willis came away really impressed with the stuff that he had. They, they said that they couldn't have been more impressed. Um, Mike Clevenger, he's all systems go continues to be the the solid pitcher that they they believe in and then I, I think that a takeaway on Monday Adam Pluko talking with the the media said that he feels really good about where his curveball's at and Justin you and I talked about this it was a focus for Adam to work on his curveball he actually broke his at-home net when he was uh, training during the coronavirus stoppage he he actually broke his net in his house and uh, kind of ran out of alternatives but had still been working on that curveball more than anything. And he said he re- feels really good about it. He said he hasn't noticed much rust. So I-, I think the takeaway is this. The Indians have the pitching staff that can see them piggyback some starters, potentially 
you've got a couple of starters that are not going to be in the five-man rotation, but those guys can come in, and if a starter only goes four or five innings, those guys can come in and be an extra bridge. They can provide a security blanket. The Tribe has the options in their pitching to really push some different buttons here. And in a 60-game sprint, that could prove to be extremely beneficial. We know that's beneficial in 162 games. But in a season where Terry Francona might have to adapt quickly, might have to try to erase some sort of a, let's say they go on a three or four game losing streak. You've got to find a way to correct that. Francona has options. And I think what we're seeing is Bieber and Clevenger at the top of this rotation are, are very steady. Bieber shining right now. And Pluko could come on as a number four guy in the rotation. Yeah, I think it's really important. I know, uh, for those who might have forgotten, Plutko was trying to increase the spin efficiency on his curveball. So he actually had among the better spin rates in baseball, I think, last year in his curveball. But spin rate for curveball alone doesn't really tell a major story of, of effectiveness. So spin efficiency is important with direction of the ball and um, the way the seams are moving and the break it's getting to uh, make it as tough for the hitter to pick up as anything. So I think improving spin efficiency was his goal. And, and it's good to hear that he's, he feels like he's in a good place about that because he is an important piece at this point. I'm curious to see, cause I've gone back and forth with Willie hood on this and, and other people. Um, I feel like, I, I wonder if maybe, maybe it's true. Maybe it can go both ways. So obviously we know the Indians are deep in pitching. Does the shorter schedule in your mind enhance that advantage for them does it does it stand out even more or do you think it gives teams with lesser pitching than the indians a, a fairer plane because they don't have to rely on depth getting by and, and trying to get all those innings covered from april to september so you think it kind of evens the playing field a little bit i think i guess it can go both ways but what is your feeling on that well my feeling on it is you got to trust Terry Francona in a shortened season. He's shown us that he knows how to press buttons when backs are against the wall. And I, I think in this predicament, I'd rather have more pitching than not enough of it. Because at the end of the day, if you have a rotation that's sputtering and you don't have options, you could end up going down a rabbit hole. And just in 10 games, if you go on some sort of losing nine to 10, your season could be booked. When you're only playing 60 games, your season could end up getting lost in, in two bad turns of the rotation. Now, to your point, Terry was asked uh, on Monday if he'd ever consider going to a four-man rotation because uh, he was asked by Paul Hoynes, who, you know, we know Hoynes, he's been doing this for a long time. It was an interesting question. But he, he went along the side of, look, I've got – right now I'm having trouble filling out my complete five because I really think I've got six or seven guys. Um, so I think for the Indians that it is to their advantage because of the fact that the bullpen to me, and I'm interested to hear how you categorize it. I, I don't know how certain I am of sixth, seventh, eighth inning execution. Um, and I, I think this was an area for the team last year that they had trouble at times and that, that caused some losing skits. So I look at it as, if you've got the options to put a starting pitcher in for a seventh, eighth inning type of role and where that three batter minimum rule comes into play this year that you can't always play the matchups. 
I think it's a good thing for the Indians. And I think being able to piggyback their starters and not having a guy have to throw seven innings right from the jump could end up benefiting them. And also, the depth of pitching, when you have that and you're going to play the Tigers and the Royals um, for the amount of times that you do for, what, nine, ten games, I think that when you think about the fact that you're going to play them for almost a 30-year schedule, you could end up saving guys' energy along the way and throwing in some guys to eat up innings if you've got games locked up, which we know last year the Indians did have a lot of games against the Tigers locked up. I think they're carrying, what, like an 18-game winning streak into the season against Detroit. So I uh, I think it's to their advantage. I, I'm on the side that this is something that this ball club is going to benefit from. Uh, it just it just comes down to whether that lineup's producing from the get-go because I think they've got one of the best young pitchers in baseball in Bieber, another one in Clevenger, and then Carrasco seems like he's doing fine, but you know you want to wait and see how it all pans out. And, and the Plesak and Plutko, what they can be able to do, you know, there's something steady there, and there's guys beyond them that have shown us semblance of of production. So. I, I understand where you're coming from, but I'm going to go with the old school mentality that you go as far as your pitching takes you. And I still think in a 60 game sample size, when you have reinforcements and when you might have to make a quick pivot of some sort that, you know what, it's good to have guys available. And let's bear in mind, let's bear in mind the reality. You never know. You never know if someone ends up getting COVID-19 or if something happens and a player has to be, on the bench for a little bit of time. The Indians certainly do have guys that can come and be a spot start. Yeah. I mean, that, that is maybe part of their advantage, maybe not necessarily having more quality starters than the rest of the teams they're going to be playing this year. But um, when you have that quality of start, if you do have guys that do test positive for the virus and, uh, or other injuries, you know, given, whatever might happen with guys building up their arms over this weird spring training or summer camp, they have more guys they can plug in. If something like that happens, I guess. Um, And you said something too, that makes a lot of sense to me. I've been saying this on Twitter. I think trying to push that advantage they have is so important. I think, like you said, the bullpen, I, to me, the bullpen is very, very shaky. I mean, I I've always, I've been a big, proponent of James Karinchak's talent. I think he's got all the tools to be a good reliever. The command's an issue. Uh, he's not proven, and I do. I am concerned about the, the command. There's reason to be concerned about Brad Hand, given how his second half went last year. Uh, obviously, Emmanuel Classe is not going to play this year because of the suspension to PEDs. And then, like you said, Oliver Perez and, and Adam Simber are two guys affected directly by the three-batter minimum rule. And right there, that leaves you with what? How, what known commodities do you have back there? Like, I, I, yeah. There's not yeah. many. So going with – I would like to see them almost piggyback. Like you said, I, if you're going to have Bieber, Clevenger, Carrasco, Plesak, Savali, Plutko, Logan Allen, you know, or, and Tristan McKenzie and a couple other guys, if those guys are ready to help your team right now and they're, they're, they're the strength of your team, that's the backbone – get those guys in get make the most of their talent and your and your your advantage you know du- kind of double down on that and leverage that as much as you can especially with the uncertainty of the bullpen i i don't think they're going to do that but i kind of wish we would see 
you know, Zach, please Zach going five innings and, and getting three innings out of a, a Logan Allen buying him instead of, you know, resting your hopes on hoping Nick Whitgren and uh, James Karinchak are ready to handle really high leverage situations in a season where, like you said, two or three game losing streak is, is so devastating at this point. And I, I, and you know what you're getting out of your starters more than anything. So that, that was kind of my big thing with the pitching. Um, to, yeah, to that's, my, that's my thing too. And, and to be honest with you, one, one thing that we have not discussed in any of these media availabilities, the first couple of days of camp is the bullpen. And I think part of that is there's been so much going on around the team between the team name, between coronavirus, between all the storylines. But when we've talked about baseball, we've talked about some of the, some of the known, some of the things that are going on. I I think this team's biggest unknown is the bullpen. It really is. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how it's going to shake out and who is going to make the roster. I know, you know, they've got a lot of options and I think, the upside is good. You know, you have, they have talented relievers. It's just, there's not a lot of certainty in if they're going to be able to produce and Karen check and hand have the potential to be a great back end tandem. I really like some of the prospects in Nick Sandlin and, and Kyle Nelson and other guys they're carrying on the roster. I like, ex- I like getting Tristan McKenzie exposure to the major leagues Yeah, out of the bullpen, given his injury history, but also the fact that he has two pitches that are above average and he can throw them for strikes. That's all you really need to get through two innings. You don't need to turn the lineup over and you don't got to worry about his durability. Uh, I don't think they're, I don't know if they're going to do that in this weird season and, and potentially, you know, burn his service time, but um, you know, they have options. It's just a matter of, like you said, um, pulling the right, the right um, levers, you know, Francona generally is solid with the bullpen. I think he's made some more questionable decisions over the last couple of years, but that could also be, you know, it's a lot, it's a lot easier to make bullpen decisions when you have Cody Allen, Brian Shaw and Andrew Miller to go <laughs> seven, eight, nine with then maybe an Oliver Perez and a Nick Whitgren. Not, not that those guys didn't have great years last year, but um, you just know what you're getting on a day-to-day basis from that trio versus this trio. So, they have options. It's just how quickly are they going to have a hook on some of those guys and um, you know, how much are they going to rely on them? And if, if they, if they all pitch their potential, then, Hey, things could be great. Um, if certain guys aren't, they need to be able to turn over and say, okay, this isn't working. We can't afford to stick with someone who's struggling too much longer this year. So yeah. I'm, I mean, I am most curious to see how things go with the bullpen. You're right. I want to ask you this too if there was any comment on this today, you know, a lot of other teams are struggling to get um, COVID-19 tests back. So they're shutting down their practices until they know um, the results of the guy's test. That's not happening in Cleveland yet. It seems like everything's been a go so far, but what did they have to say about that? And I'm wondering how bad I'm personally wondering how bad it could be where if they have to shut down days of practice and then, you know, inter-squad games because they don't have tests back on guys and that limits how much starters can build their arms up and how many swings guys can get and be ready for the season. Yeah. So I, I sense the frustration level from Francisco Lindor. He was one of the player reps in all, all these talks between the MLBPA and, and um, the owners and whatnot. And he talked about that. He and, he and Adam 
Plucko talked about that on Monday. And he, he said, look, we haven't had any issues. There's been no issues with the Indians in testing. And only Delino DeShields tested positive. That didn't even happen at the team's facility. That's happened in Arizona where Delino's still at. That said, Frankie said on Monday, this is pretty frustrating. We signed off on a 21-game spring training and then a 60-game season. And you could tell he was frustrated because he said, we came to this agreement and you put into place, MLB put into place, that these guidelines and these testing this testing would all be followed and that these things would we the eyes would be dotted. The T's would be crossed. And you could just sense that there was some frustration that what is going on? It's hard enough for us as is to have a three week period of getting ready for this than amping up to from zero to 100. And it's not that he doesn't want to play. Everybody wants to play Justin, but you can sense from the players a little bit of what is going on with the the nationals and what's going on with the Astros. And they, there was definitely some concern on Monday, but the, the vibe around the Indians has been one of really comfortability. I, I sense everybody's doing fine. They're following things. Tito gives off the sense that there's a high level of cooperation across the organization and that there really aren't a lot, of issues at the moment. Now that could change tomorrow. That's what we're dealing with right now. But I get the sense thus far, the good news is you knock on the wood that everything's been fine in Cleveland. What's glaring is there's no uniformity across major league baseball with testing. Yeah. It, it does sound like they're relying on one facility and it sounds like it's the facility that they usually send their PED test to. So they might've been a little bit overwhelmed and you have the holiday but yeah, they definitely should have probably had these things in mind when they created the protocol that this could be an issue and how do we solve that? And, you know, you're well, yeah, because if you have one player, if you went any even let's say you even go one workout day and you got a player playing with coronavirus or practicing with covid, what if that turns into four or five or six cases and then that team's jeopardized? I mean, we've just seen a major league soccer team in the last hour. It had 14 positive tests, and now they can't play this season. That could easily happen in baseball, too. And that's, that's where this is. There's no other timeline than the present. You think about the fact that if you get COVID, there's that quarantine period. And for MLB, it's simple. One negative test if, if you're not in town. One negative test to travel. Two to actually rejoin the team. But if you've got coronavirus sitting in your system, it might take a week for that to wear off. And when you only have three weeks to prepare for your season – it really leaves you up against the wall here. It's it's now or never in MLB. And the fact that they've got the amount of things unsolved with the testing capabilities is, is something that, well, it it's kind of a direct reflection of the fact that it was only 10 days ago we learned that we were going to be having baseball. You know, it hasn't been that long. And everything's kind of happened here quickly. Yeah, and that was the thing. I think a lot of people I, were – it seemed like we just totally lost sight of that when they were negotiating money was that none of these systems were in place, which in actuality, this should have been the first thing they had taken care of before the money, because you're not making any money. If you get a team where you have like, you know, 20 or 30 guys who are testing positive and they can't, you know, I guess you, yeah, you could fill the roster with 30 with 30. Cause that's why they have a 60 man player pool, you know, but a lot of teams roster, if you look at it, aren't planning on utilizing all 60 roster spots or they don't have 
a list of 60 that they, that are, they're going to be able to rotate through because, you know, the Indians are not going to call up Ethan Hankins and, and Aaron Bracco and um, some of those younger guys. They're there to get some structured development. So, and a lot of teams have taken that route. So that's kind of a risk, I guess, if you look at it now, because if you do have these situations where testing isn't going well and someone does spread it, you know, because their testing's not taken care of properly, then you've got teams that don't have players to, call up and replace in that pool and you know can you really have even if one team is shut down at this point can you really have a season because then it, that affects every other team and their schedule so you can't just say well this team's done and we're going to go with 29 because that affects everyone's schedule so it's, <laughs> right. it's, it's all got to work or nothing's going to work and i do agree with your point i think like some of the comments from lindor about not living in fear and, and just being respectful of others and your neighbors and doing those kind of things and zach Plesak saying you know we're not we're not trying to go to bars and socialize and do all those things. We want to play. That's why we're here. And, you know, we're going to do all the things it takes to stay on the field and play the season and not, you know, jeopardize anybody else's chances at playing this year. So I do agree with you. I think the, I think the Indians are going to handle this as well as anybody. And that does stem from everybody from Chris Anthony down to Terry Francona and, and everybody on that organization too. Yeah, I'm I'm totally with you. I think it's the the thing that's uh, that's glaring is that we're only a couple days in the camp, and you've got these issues mounting. And if this takes one bad turn, then the chances of us having baseball are not good. But it's great that we've got a schedule. It's great to have the Indians in town training. It's something positive. I could sense people's want for baseball. I mean, I, I remember tweeting this last month. It's just like th- this is a sport that has always been a resort, no matter the event, and it's going to be the first sport, the first major sport to come back. So the sport's in a very interesting position, despite the fact that it went through a couple of months of, of turmoil and bad negotiations and a lot of immaturity at times. Uh, I, I still feel like the room is there for them to attract a viewer uh, the NBA is going to come back that following week, but look, people are going to be starved for something. And with the schedule coming out, um, I think you just, you just hope you've crossed your fingers, Justin, that, that we're going to have <laughs> baseball here this summer. And if we do here in Cleveland, this is, this is a ball club that with Francisco Lindor, with where he's at right now in his contract, now is the time. Uh, to capitalize with him. I think that the future of the Indians, I don't think it's all doom and gloom uh, with Francisco Lindor. And if he's not an Indian after next season or whatever ends up happening, if he's not an Indian, I don't think it's an end-all, be-all that the tribe's going to take some some big spin downward. That said, he's one of the top stars in the sport. And your chances are never going to be better than they are now because he's on your team. And Jose Ramirez is still a, a really, really good player. And it looks like you've got the pitching that that can pitch you deep into this season and pitch you to a championship. It seems like the pitching's in that place from a starting rotation standpoint. So the Indians are in a position to do something here, albeit a shorter season. Let's just hope we've got baseball to give them a chance to do it. Yeah, and, and the pitching, you know, there we talked about there's a lot of depth and and most of those guys are a known commodity. Uh, maybe a little less so, you know, Plesak and Savali, but they did show, you know, a lot of good promise last year. And I think you have a good idea of what they can do. 
Um, and, you know, Carrasco, there's a little bit of uncertainty there, but I think over if he's playing and the Indians are monitoring him and he's and it's a short season, I think you have less to worry about with him as long as they can keep him, you know, healthy for his own sake. Um, but it is interesting with the offense. Like you said, Lindor and Ramirez are obviously your stalwarts. You know, Jose Ramirez has been, you know, I know he struggled at the outset of last season and he struggled at the end of the year before that, but you saw what happens when he gets hot and he fixed he fixed things and then he came back. He, you know, has wrist surgery and then he comes back after not playing for a month and hits two home runs and two at bats. That's the end of a season. But, you know, the guy didn't take any, had didn't have time to go rehab because the minor league season was over and he came, comes back and it's two huge home runs. Um, so we know that, that's the interesting thing about that is that over a short season, you've got guys like Lindor and Ramirez who can carry your offense for, um, you know, a week at a time. Same with Fran Mel Reyes. You know, he can get hot and go on a home run bitch. Carlos Santana had a great yeah. first half last year. You've got individual pieces in this lineup where are they as good a lineup as the Twins and the, and the White Sox even over 162? Probably not. They don't have the depth, I don't know. But in a short season, you have guys that if they can get hot for a two-week stretch and then somebody else could heat up it for the next two weeks – you know, that's a, that's a really interesting situation to think about with the offense and to go along with the pitching. Well, and how about Tyler Naquin? Before he got hurt last year, he was he was hitting 281. I mean, he this was a kid that was starting to play the best baseball that he had in his career and was hitting the baseball well. So I look at a guy like him. I, I'm curious, Justin, to see what we get out of Oscar Mercado at the plate and see if he takes a step forward and, and can continue to progress further. I I'm intrigued to see what happens with him. And, you know, I, I know that I might be coming off a little bit too positive here, but when he is on, when he's in a zone, and that doesn't happen, I'm not saying that happens a lot, but Roberto Perez can be a guy that when he's in a zone can provide a little bit of power, can find the gaps for this ball club. So th- their lineup, I would, I would still say the Indians lineup is above average. I don't think it's more than that. I don't think it's a strong lineup. I think it's a in a good place with the potential because of a couple of game-changing hitters to be one of the better lineups when the when some of those guys are in a zone and we've seen they're more than capable of doing that. I I just I I think you'll have to agree with me and I this isn't a hot take at all but like this is a situation where Jose Ramirez can't be in a, any sort of a cold slump to start the season. I, I just have found too often the last couple of years as he's gone at times, the rest of this lineup has just gone with him. He, he seems to be that type of a player in a lineup. People, I, some people have agreed with me on this. I, I have, I have long said that I think Ramirez is actually the better player than Lindor. Lindor plays the premium position, but who, who has it been that's finished top three in the MVP? And I know MVP votes are subjective, but who has it been among the two of them that has finished with uh, two top three MVP votes? It's, it's Ramirez, not Lindor. And that's not to say, obviously, Lindor is not a, better, not a great player, but Jose Ramirez offensively, you're right. He is kind of their catalyst. And, and for all the issues they had in the first half in 2019, they would have been in a much, much better position even even as they were still trying to trot out Carlos Gonzalez and Hanley Ramirez and they kept Mercado down and, and all the other issues they were having, if Jose Ramirez was playing like the Jose Ramirez, who's an all-star in the first half, 
a lot of those issues, you know, get covered up because the bullpen was going well. And, and that just, like you said, that shows how important he is to the lineup. And yeah, if he's, if he's struggling the first three weeks of the year, that's going to make a, make a big problem for them. And you hope that Lindor is not, and you hope that Re- Reyes is ready to go. Cause he's been streaky. I'm curious to see what his, what, what kind of shape he's in. Cause remember he lost at 18 pounds going into spring training. So yeah. everybody, everybody thought he was poised to have a huge year because uh, he felt very powerful and rotational and felt that the, the weight loss had helped him even capitalize on more of his power, which is a scary thing. So I'm curious to see what kind of shape he's in. And then furthermore to the offense, you know, Domingo Santana and, and uh, Cesar Hernandez, you know, guys that I think a lot of fans might've forgotten about because they were so new to the team, especially Domingo signing into spring training. You know, those guys are going to play roles in the lineup too. And, if they can get really positive contributions out of them or even league average contributions out of them, that can go a long way to, to making this lineup even scarier in a short season. But um, Domingo was having a great 2019 before his elbow injury. Now he's obviously further removed from that. And, you know, Cesar Hernandez needs to develop some chemistry with Lindor again, that got taken away from spring training. Um, but I'm really interested to see what comes out of those two guys with this lineup too, because I think, Hernandez provides a lot of balance in another another switch hitter, but also having served as a leadoff hitter before and, and being able to get on base and run a little. And then um, Santana being able to DH and, and go back and forth with playing uh, the field with um, Fred Mill Reyes. And now, and now when you go to a National League park, you don't got to worry about taking him out of the lineup. There's, there's yes. the National League park. So now, now you're going to have potentially – Reyes and Santana in the lineup every single day and not have to compromise your defense by putting one in there or both in there, I should say. Yeah, it's funny. Um, Tito was asked on, on Sunday who the best Indians pitcher as a hitter at the plate was in his time. And he said, definitely not Josh Tomlin. And then ended up saying really nobody. So he, uh, he, he didn't really give a, a commitment on, on that and wasn't willing to commit. Although you could dig through, and, and this is something that would take somebody some time, of of best Indians hitting pitchers through the years. I mean, I I think did CC Sabathia hit a home run one time? I think I'm correct in saying that. He had a couple. He had one a in couple Cincinnati, of them. one in one in Dodger Stadium, one in Cincinnati at least. Yeah, I remember the Cincinnati one. Straightaway center, if I'm correct. Yeah, dead center, and then he pulled one down the line against the Dodgers. Don't ask me why I remember that, because there's, there's more important things that I don't remember that I should right. I should have in my head than that. But but the book's closed on that. That's the point. Yeah, <laughs> and it's and okay I'm, when you've got Fran Mill Reyes. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, you know. Uh, let, let's try to move forward so we can uh, wrap things up with some more burning topics. Um, no Indians, as we said, are opting out of playing or coaching due to COVID-19. Um, obviously, the uh, Bradville situation is a little different. Brandon Guy retired. That's just a little bit of news we wanted to go along with. And, uh, you know, he was a big part of the 2016 roster. Trevor Crow, former Indians prospect, charged with evading taxes in a legal gambling ring. Um, that was interesting news to me. The Indians will play their first inter-squad game Thursday night. Uh, Tanner Burns still unsigned. I have to go back and look at the money, but it looks like Tanner Burns would need about 1.8 million um, bonus to keep the Indians 
under penalty where they'd have to pay taxes on their going over bonus slot. And uh, I forget how much money they'd have to keep under to not lose a pick next year, but I can almost guarantee everybody that the Indians will not be giving up a draft pick for next year by going over slot to sign Tanner Burns. They'll get him signed, but they're going to make sure they don't lose the draft pick for next year. Um, do you want, before we get out of here, do you want to, what do you want to tackle next? Do you want to tackle the schedule? Do you want to talk, tackle the name change thing? Well, let's tackle the name change thing before we get to the schedule. I, I think with the name change, this has been handled about as well as they could have handled it. And the Indians put out the statement Friday night. Obviously, Zach Meisel of The Athletic and Ken Rosenthal report that the Indians are looking into this this name change. Terry Francona on Sunday, we put up the clip on our Twitter account, uh, mine at John underscore Fanta. Uh, and, and that clip is everything that you would want from your skipper to say. And he talked about the fact that he's at an age now where just because he's at his age, which Tito is 59, uh, if, if I'm correct, um, where, he's, where he's at an age where being ignorant is not enough uh, to just shove it underneath a rug. And that he said you have to be willing, 61 actually, Tito's 61 years old. Um, Brad Mills is 63, Carl Willis is 59. Um, and, and Terry said, and I, I say that because COVID has been in the headlines and, and Chris Hansen, and he was asked about the age of the coaching staff and, and how much of a concern that is. And, and Chris has said that, that it is a concern, but that said with the team team name, you know, it stinks in that if you're an Indians fan and that's who you've known and that's the name you've gone off of. Yeah. You know, it's, it's hard in that that's been your team and you become attached to a team name, but that doesn't make the name right. And no new name is going to sound right compared to the name that you've become accustomed to knowing your team at. That's just a fact. But by the same token, it's going to be the right choice because of the times that we're in. And I think that that's been the takeaway from a lot of players. It's been the takeaway from Tito. Francisco Lindor did not go real in depth, but left it at, if it brings peace and happiness to people who have been hurt by this team name, then I'm all for it. That's what Frankie said on Monday. And Adam Plutko said, you know, it's not up to me, but I, I think with where we're at in our society and with where things have been going, you know, I understand what's, what's happening. And, and the, the idea has been one of support and it's been one really Justin, you're going to have those Twitter comments is you're going to have people, you're going to have fans who, who get crazy and who make this an idea of politics, but I've been really impressed with the uniformity from the Indian side of things. There hasn't been much controversial said there really hasn't. And it's been the type of thing where the players, Terry are understanding and, and seeing the big picture here that the discussions need to be had to look into a new team name. And it seems inevitable that the name is going to get changed. But what I've taken away from the past couple of days is that players, Francona, they're on the same page. They recognize where we're at in our society and they recognize that a name change is overdue. Yeah. The messaging has been really good from the organization on this. It was kind of a shock to me because, you know, FedEx had pressured 
uh, the Redskins to change the name. You know, that's the sponsor of their stadium. I didn't think we were going to get to the point where Progressive was going to do that with them. So I was a little bit surprised they did this on their own. Um, and obviously there's a lot of people who are curious about the situation. You know, the Indians um, lease with the stadiums up in 2023, although there's some wiggle room on that with options and having to pay back the money on the, on the lease um, and TV contract ending then. And then, you know, some very cloudy comments from the Dolan family about the future of ownership here. And obviously the de- 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 details about John Sherman having a, potential pipeline to buying the majority of the team before he took the Kansas city Royals and bought them. So I think there's a lot of people who are kind of wondering if a lot of those pieces end up fitting together. And then you saw the news today about Dave Dombrowski being a part of a pretty substantial group of players trying to bring a team to Nashville, Tennessee. So that's interesting. I think people are tying that together. That'll be something to unfold. I would just say this about the logo and the name. I've, I've stopped caring about the name and the logo years ago. I was all for change because I was tired of the debate. I don't think to me, it's not worth having a logo and a team name. That's going to stir this kind of debate all the time. It's just why, why put yourself in that situation and complications if you don't need to, there's a lot of teams out there that have never had that issue. And I think it's better not to have it. And I, I feel like, um, you know, native Americans who are post the nickname, if Anthony Kasherman said this earlier today, and I thought it was a good comedy said that, they deserve to be heard and that a race-based nickname does create um, unnecessary complication. And I, that's exactly what I was trying to say is why invite that kind of issue when you don't need to, there's plenty of way around it. And if you, if you're, you know, if you love Cleveland, I know you, John, you love Cleveland. I love Cleveland as a city. If you go back and look at the history, you know, it was a, a city that had like, just like any in America had tons of native Americans early on. And, um, you know, you, you, their land was taken from them early on. And, and Moses Cleveland was a little better about it than other people were. But there are plenty of other things to connect the city to. I just think people need to know the history of the city a little bit and know that there are lots of other things to be connected to versus that very controversial piece of history. And that is my only position on on things. And I am open to anything and everything as far as team name goes at this point. Yeah, I, I am sense with where we're at, and uh, I thought Lindor said it best. He said, look, our society is due for change, and if this is a change that needs to occur to help correct the wrongs, then why wouldn't I, I be supportive of that? And I, I think, Justin, right now our, our problem is, you know, this is a general societal comment. Everybody wants to find something wrong with with something like there, mm-hmm. there's just no right answer. There's no right way. Everybody's got to look at something and try to point out the flaws. And I, I just I think the one thing I've been impressed about with with the Indians handling of this is the amount of of unity that we've seen is the handling of this collectively. They've done a good job. The Redskins, it, it comes off that they're all apart from one another. You've got minority old owners pulling out. You've got all kinds of, of crap happening with the Washington Redskins. And I give credit to the Indians organization for, for what they've done and for how they've come off here. Now, look, we can debate new names all day long, and people have done that. And, you know, you could call any sports talk station and try. I get the Spiders concept. Rocks doesn't do it for me. 
Cleveland Baseball Club is interesting. I think the, the one thing that, that um, could be interesting is, and I, I don't know if you tweeted this or if I saw it somewhere else, of involving Native American voices in trying to come up with a new name. I wonder if that's a possibility uh, of trying to, to maybe get to, get to a point where you, you pay tribute um, in, a, in a way that's appropriate and that makes sense. And, and I say that with one example. I was talking with a colleague today who talked about the Florida State Seminoles. The Seminoles, that name, Florida State reached out to the Seminole tribe. And the Seminoles were actually honored that Florida State did. Florida State wanted to ask them about how they felt. And Florida State actually has had that name as a tribute to that tribe. And it just makes me wonder if there's a point that we could get to where maybe there's a, a happy medium here. Maybe there's a conversation that can be had that can produce a, a, a positive result. I thought that was an interesting idea. There's, there's a million of those ideas. We'll see what they come to. I just hope that they're able to somehow keep the tradition of the franchise while maintaining that appropriateness uh, with it, but also not picking a, a, a team name that's going to send the branding, it's going to send the identity of the franchise far off the wall. Yeah, it is an interesting way to think about it. I, I would be curious to see what comes of, of, of a discussion like that. I think ultimately in the end, they'll probably try to go away from that just because of all the the, the ties and the controversy over the years to it. Yeah. But it would be interesting to see if they want that route and, I'm positive with the leadership they have there that this is something they will be very careful in considering how they go about it. I just, I do think it is inevitable. It will change whether that change comes when they're playing in Cleveland or if it comes playing somewhere else, I'm not sure, but uh, things are a little bit interesting in that regard. All right. I know you got to get moving uh, real quick. So the schedule came up uh, today. My, my initial takeaways were, Okay, you have six against Pittsburgh, who's clearly a bottom feeder this year. That's a that's a huge advantage. I don't think all I don't think all AL Central teams are playing against six against Pittsburgh. I think that's a uh, I want to say that's a a natural kind of thing. And they have obviously more against Cincinnati. They have six against Cincinnati, who uh, is an interesting team. They open against Kansas City. They have seven against them. They have seven against the Tigers. Um, no, like you said, no, no off days for the first 17 games. So pitching depth is going to be important early on. Any other quick takeaways from the schedule for you? Well, I think that the big takeaway from my standpoint is seven games at Target Field, seven games in Minnesota mm-hmm. against the Ray AL Central champion Twins and only three games at Progressive Field against the Twins. So that is a big takeaway that I have that, I know that there's no home field advantage, but there is a a last at bat advantage there. And the twins are going to have it seven times. And uh, we've seen this here in the schedule. I mean, just to give you a couple quirks, I've, I've found a a couple, um, I think it was Keith Britton from 92, three, the fan who brought it up the Red Sox. They're going to play seven of 10 at the Yankees in the Bronx. The Cardinals are playing at Wrigley field seven out of 10 times against the Cubs. So the Indians aren't the only team that has this, if you want to call it a disadvantage, um, with the last at bat. And look, the Twins are their biggest opposition. I I think as well, we're going to see how legit the Chicago White Sox are right from the get-go. You know, Mm -hmm. you've got them early on, and that could really create a race, or it could see the Indians 
make an early statement and find that separation. The White Sox in the second series of the year, and then after the Twins and the Reds, then you've got them again for three in Chicago. So I'm, I'm curious to see how that works. But, Justin, I really like the way that the Tribe has the first half end and then starts the second half. You've got at the Tigers, at the Pirates, home to the Tigers. Out of nine games right there, that's an area where you can go seven and two, if not better. And then you start your second half at home against the Twins. And so you're going to be in a position where if you capitalize and do what you're supposed to do, you have a day game against the Tigers on the 23rd of August. And then you get a full, uh, let's see, 21, 22 hours to prepare for that three-game set against Minnesota in Cleveland, three night games against the Twins. I, I like the way that that lines up for the Indians to get that second half of the schedule going and to potentially capitalize. Yeah, it is going to be interesting. And the NL Central is extremely balanced, too. So that's what interests me the most is need to take advantage of those six games against the Pirates because they are maybe the worst team out of anybody, I think. Um, well, maybe Kansas City is a little bit worse off this year or Detroit. I'm not sure. But to me, the Pirates are one of the weaker teams on the schedule out of anybody in Major League Baseball. Um, so they better take advantage of that. So look forward to coming up. Um Top prospect re-rankings, um, top 50 will be ranked by myself, Willie Hood, Joe Koblitz. Um, I'll have an interview piece up coming in the coming week with P.D. Halpin, who just signed with the Indians, uh, fourth-round draft pick. I'm sorry, third round. Uh, looking back also at some former Tribe prospects, first will be Keith Ramsey, who was Halpin's coach his senior year, uh, also a former Indians prospect, obviously. Diamonds in the Rough will pick back up soon for insiders. And then, of course, a lot of uh, – Tribe coverage from you, John. That's what people can look forward to. Anything else you want to add before we get out of here? No, excited. Uh, like I said, at John underscore Fanta with an H, uh, J-O-H-N underscore Fanta on Twitter. Feel free to chime in if you've got a question, if you've got a thought, whatever it is. Exciting to be with the, the Indians Baseball Insider crew. And, Justin, it's just good to be talking baseball again. This has been a lot of fun. I know we'll have plenty to talk about. And looking forward to that conversation that you have with Petey as well. Yeah, it's going to be really good. And we're, like I said, John, we're really excited to have you. We're, we're so grateful you're able to be home in this weird stretch of things. And uh, I think Indians fans will really appreciate all the work you're putting in because you do put a lot of work into your craft. Uh, so everybody stay safe, wear a mask, and um, stay hydrated. It's going to be a hot week in Cleveland. It's going to be in the yeah. 90s, though. Those, things, those two things probably go together. You know um, what? Okay. No opening day snow. That's the best news. Yes, there's no chance of snow on opening day. When have you ever been able to say that about Cleveland? <laughs> Never. All right. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We will catch you next week.